Our scripture reading for us this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 1 through 18. I invite you to hear this word for us this morning from the New Living Translation. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry the sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your work amongst us. We thank you for your word. As we enter into this time of deep discipleship, we ask for you to open our hearts in our minds, our ears, as we seek to hear from you. Turn out our distractions so that we may focus entirely upon you and your word for us. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In each of the four Gospels, we see Jesus doing moments of healing or providing healing in the midst of suffering in the midst of pain, in the midst of illness. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are often used as signs to show who Christ is. But these miracles go much deeper than just to reveal something about the divine nature of Christ. They go to show Christ's mercy and healing touch to the person in front of them. 
whether it's the blind man, whether it's the woman who had hemorrhaged for 12 years, whether it was the paraplegic, whether it was the person worried about his son. We see Jesus throughout the Gospels offering the divine touch of healing and mercy. And we always see Jesus taking the initiative in the healing aspect. It's Jesus offering healing. It's Jesus offering hope. It's Jesus offering grace to someone in need. And in John's gospel, these healings are these signs. And what we see in this particular story, and even the story right before it, is Jesus performing healings of mercy. In the story before this one, we see Jesus healing the royal official's son as an act of mercy towards all. But this particular story in John chapter 5, verse 1 through 18, comes with a direct purpose behind it. None of Jesus' healings were ever done without some purpose behind the story. And the, the story of healing the royal son reminds us that God's healing and grace is available to every person. But this story, this story is more than just about the healing. The main focus of this story isn't the healing itself, but what takes place afterwards. What takes place as people are trying to wrestle with what took place at the pool by the sheep gate. John tells us in chapter 5, verse 1 through 18, that Jesus has come back to Jerusalem for an unnamed festival. It's not worth our time or exegetical energy to try to determine which festival of the required festivals that would have allowed you or, or had you go into Jerusalem that this would have been. That's not John's focus, nor should it be ours. The focus for John is to get him back into Jerusalem and to get him back inside the temple vicinity and within the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. In this particular story, he's gone in to what was known as the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate is one of eight gates that surround the ancient walls of Jerusalem. This particular gate located on the north section of Jerusalem was near where they would provide the sheep market, where you would have gone to buy the sheep for the sacrifice. In this section of Jerusalem, in the old city, in the northern sections of the temple area, there was this pool called Bethesda. Now this pool today is located near a church that we call the Church of St. Anne, which we believe is located near where Mary was born. But this pool, this pool of Bethesda, has these five porticos located on it. It has this deep 
centering aspect to it where you can imagine water flowing in. There was an ancient tradition that centers around what would have been John chapter 5, verse 4. Our translation omits it, as does some other translations, because we don't see this verse located in some of the earliest manuscripts that we have uncovered. But what that verse kind of gave us was an ancient superstition, if you will, or an ancient belief that if the water was stirred up, it was because there was an angelic presence of healing surrounding this water. And whomever was the first person to get to this water would have been healed. And so you can imagine people lining up, waiting to go into this pool, waiting to go into these waters every time that water would be stirred up. The stirring, some believe, came from a spring that might have fed into these waters. But for whatever reason, they came in waiting to be healed, waiting to feel that warm water touch them, and perhaps give them relief from the pain. Well, this man had been around the, the edge of the pool waiting to be healed. For some 38 years, he had spent his life suffering. And the way the text describes it is that he likely suffered as a result of some sin in his life that caused him to have some difficulties or challenges. We see later on in the Gospel of John that Jesus is very clear that sin does not cause physical ailments. If someone is born blind, it's not because they were sinful or their parents were sinful. But sometimes our sinfulness, sometimes our acts can cause problems in our lives. If you don't treat your body well, you can have problems with your health. If you do something wrong, sometimes there are consequences that affect your body. And so the way the text reads, it provides us a sense that something happened with this man's life that caused him to have some sense of ailments or pain. And for 38 years he suffered. But the amount of his pain, the nature of his pain, would have required him for, to be picked up and brought into the pool. And he didn't have anyone to do that for him. And so I can imagine Jesus seeing this man standing or sitting by the side of the pool, looking at the water, waiting to be healed, waiting for someone to just have empathy for him. And so Jesus approaches him, initiates the conversation, and says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? And the man, he, he's focused on what he expected to be done. He said, well, I don't have anyone to lift me up. Are you going to pick me up and put me in the water? And Jesus says, look, just pick up your mat, roll it up, and walk away. 
pick up your mat, and go. He invites him to be well. He offers him healing in this moment. The third of the seven signs of miraculous moments in John's gospel. And the man, he picks up his mat, he rolls it up, and he walks. He experiences new life, not because of anything he did, but because of the divine nature of hope and healing that brings about new life for every person. This man's obedient, and he goes and does as Christ says. He picks up his mat, and he walks into a new life on the Sabbath. We're not told until this point in the story that it's the Sabbath. It's sometime between sundown Friday and sundown Sabbath, Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. And why is this an important context, or why is this an important understanding to the message? There were rules and traditions applied to allow for someone to not violate the Sabbath. At the very nature of the Sabbath, this day of divine rest, is this aspect of doing nothing that could harm the nature or the environment. It's about ceasing from labor, ceasing from doing anything that would disturb God's creation so that all can have rest. Well, within the nature of this Sabbath, there were traditions created by the religious leaders and the elites with the intent to help all people to honor the Sabbath. And so over time, there were 39 categories of Sabbath regulations, mostly based out of Scripture, that were intended to be kind of a wall that sat around or was placed around the Sabbath regulations in order for someone not to break the law of divine rest. One of those particular rules was that you did not carry anything on the Sabbath. It's a re regulation, a, a rule, if you will, that goes back to Exodus in the story of manna in the wilderness. Moses told the people that for six days they could pick up and carry any amount of manna that they could carry or find. But they had to make enough and provide enough carry in enough that on the seventh day they could rest. On the seventh day they were not allowed to carry any more of the manna. And so this regulation about the Sabbath as far as not carrying anything came from that. And so the regulation said that you were not allowed to carry anything in a public space that you did not wear naturally. You were not allowed to wear key, carry keys or carry a bag or carry anything that were not naturally part of what you would wear. In time, there were exceptions made to the regulation called a Urev. 
And what this Urev would be is that it would be kind of a line that would stretch around a city section, a block or several blocks within a city. And it would create a private domain or essentially a private domain in that area because the regulations said that you could carry anything in your home but not in a public space. And so this private public domain allowed you to carry things within that public section as long as you were within the wiring of the urine. You see this in Jerusalem, you see this in some major cities in the United States, this wiring line that stretches around several blocks that allows people to essentially live within a private domain in the public square. But this is the regulation, this is the rule that gets the religious leaders upset. And so they go to the man, they're not upset that he's healed. They fully expected, they fully understood that God worked on the Sabbath. And that God continued to provide healing and new life on the Sabbath. So that's not what really shocked them. What shocked them was this man rolling up the mat and carrying it. He violated their rules. And that got them upset. They couldn't understand why the way things have always been done was broken. Every so often on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, some of my pastor friends will put up this cartoon. And this cartoon is of a kitchen counter. And it's got cabinets, a sink, and some drawers, and some things that you would expect in a kitchen. But you can't really see the the cabinets, you can't see the drawers, and you can barely see the sink because all over this photo are different rules and regulations. Spoons can only go in this drawer. Don't take anything out of here without signing it out. Don't do this, don't do that. It's symbolic or a funny way of looking at how many of our church kitchens have these rules and expectations upon them for how to simply live to go and provide a meal for the church. It's a funny way of looking at how we have rules and regulations simply because it's the way things are done around here and the way things have always been done. I wonder if we've ever taken a good, hard look at why we do some of the things we do. Why do we have the certain rules or the certain regulations that have come up over time? In the history of our lives, in the history of our faith, in the history of our traditions, we have these rules that sit around our practices that are basically there that are often more important to us than perhaps even the scripture itself. These rules that come in of what we can't do or what we should do. 
Don't bring drinks into the sanctuary. Don't bring drinks into the parlor. Don't call on this day. Don't call on that day. I wonder how many of our rules or the way things have always been done, how many of them are there that lead us to new life? How much are the ways and the practices of the ways things have always been or the ways that we have always done things, how often do they lead us to true, deep, and meaningful life in God? You see, I think that's what Jesus is asking or pressing with this healing. He knew exactly what he was doing when he tells this man to pick up your mat and carry it and walk off. He knew that this man would then be in violation of the Sabbath and he himself would be by having him do this. But Jesus' focus is not on this arbitrary rule about what you can and cannot carry. His focus is on what brings life, what brings relationship, what points people back to the Father's holy love. What brings people to a new and deepened life in God through Christ and by the power of the Spirit? Rules. Jesus might say to us, if they don't point to God, are meant to be broken. And this gets the religious leaders upset to the point that John tells us that they are now committed to get rid of Jesus. Not just because Jesus identifies himself as equal to God, when he says, my father is always working and so am I. But because he dares to step into the place of you don't do this around here. And challenges the way things have always been. And invites people to see a new life that is possible by stepping out into the uncomfortabilities. Jesus invites us to experience and lead into new life. Not to just be comfortable with the way things have always been. Not to just sit in the way things have always been because it's what we are comfortable with. But to embrace new life, to lead into new life, to bring hope to the hopeless. And to bring connection to the disconnected. And it happens when we start to ask the questions of are the things we are doing, are the things in my life, are the things in our church leading people to new life? And if they are, let's give thanks to God. But if they are not, are we willing to ask the question of why are we doing it? Why are we doing it if it's not leading to new life? Jesus invites us to look into our own lives and see if there are things about us, practices that we hold dear, 
traditions that we have maintained since perhaps we were a little child. Asked us to say, are these things that we are doing leading us to new life? Are they enabling us to grow in faith, to love God and to serve others? Are they simply done just because it's what we've always done, it's what we're used to? It's what we're comfortable with. And Jesus invites us to do the very same thing in the life of the church. It's what we are doing. Is what we have been doing. Is our very lives, is our very witness, our practices, our programming, our discipleship methods, our rules, our regulations, our very ways of being the church. Are they leading people to new life in Christ? Are they leading people to a deeper journey in discipleship? Are they empowering people to go into the streets, into our communities, into our neighborhoods with the love of Christ to be a renewal, lightning presence of God's holy, magnificent love? Or are they simply being done because it's the way we've always done them? Just because we've always done it this way is not an acceptable way of living for Christ. Just because it makes us comfortable is not a holy way to live for Christ. Just because it is popular, just because it's what we've done for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, is not an acceptable way to live for Christ. It might make us comfortable. It might make us feel better. It might make us feel as though we don't have to ask hard questions of ourselves. But if it doesn't lead to new life, if it doesn't lead us to be transformed in Christ, if it leads us to feeling stagnant, if it leads us to feeling like we're just going through the motions, if it doesn't bring healing to the man who is sick, to the blind, to the hurting, to the broken, to the disconnected, to the disenfranchised, to the people experiencing injustice, to the people who feel like the church has left them by, to the people who feel like they can't be a part of the church because all they see of the church are its rules, its regulations, and the things that we are known for of being against. If it doesn't bring life, love, hope, grace, peace, and joy, why are we doing it? And Christ invites us into the hard work of asking hard questions about ourselves. Because everything we do as a church Everything we do in our lives must be about honoring God and pointing people to a new life in Christ. And if it doesn't, then we have to ask ourselves, can it? Can it? 
And if it can't any longer, we have to be willing to say to God, thank you for the ministry and the witness and the grace of this mission or this project or even this regulation. But help us to live into something new. Just because we've always done it that way won't make a disciple. But going where Jesus is leading us, going into the unknown, being willing to ask hard questions, and being willing to try will make a bigger difference into the lives of those who are hurting than anything we've ever done before. We pray with me. Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. Help us to take a deeper look at our hearts and our lives and truly our soul. Of the things we have done, the things we are doing, and the things we seek to do, are they giving honor and glory to you? Or are we simply doing them because it's what we've always done? Help us to go where you lead us. Be willing to follow. In Christ we pray. Amen.